All right, welcome back to the Digital Careers Podcast. Today we're in the studio with Joe. Welcome, Joe. Hey, how you going? So, meet Joe, the owner of Joe's Printing. With a passion for photography and a key eye for detail, Joe embarked on a journey that began over a decade ago, aiming to bridge the gap he observed in the printing landscape of his hometown, Frio Wileup. Joe's Printing was born from a rich background of experience gained while working in dark rooms and digital labs in Melbourne, Nam. He realized that, like many artists, he longed for a printing experience that went beyond the ordinary, one where he could sit down with the printer, discuss the nuances of paper, and meticulously fine-tune every aspect of the printing process until the results were nothing short of perfection. This quest for perfection led Joe to set up his first printing lab right in the comfort of his bedroom. Little did he know that those early prints from his bedroom studio would eventually find their way into major art collections and prestigious galleries. His dedication to the craft and artistic vision began to gain recognition. As Joe's printing gained momentum, so did the relationship he built with his clients. With each interaction, he honed his expertise and continued to deliver exceptional prints. It wasn't long before Joe's bedroom studio evolved into his first official studio space in Jollymont, where he operated for seven years. Now Joe finds himself back in his beloved Frio, where his journey began. He has worked tirelessly to establish a printing lab that offers hassle-free service without compromising on the high quality standards he upholds. As an artist himself, Joe understands the desire for a final product that's nothing short of perfection. In this episode, we welcome you to the world of Joe's printing. So this will, also, this will be an education session about printing for myself, but also for you. We'll cover Joe's story, how he got into printing, the do's and don'ts of printing, the printing process, gear, where Joe's work has been exhibited, and the artists he's worked with, and more. So, yeah, can maybe take us back to... The bedroom? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, before that, when I was a kid getting into it. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, we'll go right back. So, my story kind of began, I... I first went into a dark room when I was a little kid. Someone showed me how to print and fuck, I fell in love with that. Like just seeing an image appear was, was magic. It was, and I had an obsession then with like photography from a really young age as a result of that. So like I you know, got together, made my own dark room, started printing, found myself in jobs and photo labs, developing film, printing photos in dark rooms. And then the kind of industry changed. Film was dead. <laughs> well, it was dying. And um, did you so, think? Did you think uh, like printing was gonna go away at that point, or no? Nah, because there was digital print. I wasn't sure if I was. I, I'm, I'm not that old that I was pre-digital altogether, but it was it was a shift. So the lab they were getting smaller, less people working there. You know, I was. By the end, like, you know, I was a 21-year-old working with everyone else was in their 50s or 70s. You know, the, the age of it was shifting. There, I was thinking, do I have to learn the digital world? Did I want to learn the digital world? What do I do? So kind of bosses kind of shifted me into the digital. So I started learning it, kind of realised there was the same physicality, the same love that you could get from a darkroom you could get in a digital lab. That the lights are held bright, not as flattering. Yeah, <laughs> the red light's pretty good on you. <laughs> Where um, and then there was that, and then you know, kind of 
went on. I quit my job in Melbourne to go traveling again. Where'd you travel? That time I went to India. So I went to a nice oh, little yeah. trip to India. I'm actually hopefully going in a couple of months, yeah. Sick. Yeah. You'll love it. It's, I've been there too many times. Where, where, did you, where do you normally go? I've, I've traveled all over the country, hey. Like, from north to south, I really like the mountains. So I think the mountains are always my favorite. Places like Kashmir, it's so beautiful. What, what do you love most about India? I think I went there expecting something and found what I got was like completely different. I didn't realize the diversity of the country, how big it really is. How, like, it was just, it was, I was blown away. I'd never been in a, I'd been in big cities, but I'd never been in cities where at two in the morning you're in an intersection in the city and there's a thousand people around you. Like, there was just so much. Or you'd be sitting on a street corner in Mumbai and, like, there's a slum across the road, a Ferrari ripped past down the road, there's a cow walking past you. And you're just eating the most delicious street food you've ever had. Like, it was just, it was wild. It was so different, so crazy, and anything was possible, as they kind of constantly tell you. <laughs> so it was just like so different from everything. Australia. So different from here. And I think I was expecting something. You found in cities, certain areas, certain places were what I imagined India to be. But then the You'd go from left, like north to south, and like the world just changed, the language changed, the way people looked changed, the climate changed, everything was different. And it was like, I thought it was more uniformed and like similar. There's like a lot of like language groups and different cultures. Yeah, constantly. It's like, you know, there's so many different, and they're so different. It's, it's crazy how different, like, you know, someone from like the Punjab is compared to like someone in West Bengal or something like that. They look different, they speak different, they eat different. It's, it's pretty cool. I really enjoy it. And then, yeah, so getting back into my old story. So I came back to Perth after being there. Need to make some money. Mate of mine had a lab in Perth and he was going. And um, he was moving away and chatting to him, chatting to some other people. I was like, oh, it kind of sucks. Like, Tony leaves, there's no more boutique print labs. And then, yeah, people kind of just convinced me to do it. <laughs> I was thinking, oh. Were you doing sort of print jobs here and there? Uh, not, not at that stage. I was, I'd quit a lab in Melbourne, come back to Perth, or I got via India. Didn't think I was gonna do that. I was planning to move to Adelaide work in a winery um but yeah then like kind of that kind of came and you know i saw that tony was leaving there was a hole people kind of encouraged me to do it because you did a you do a bit of photography i came from photography as well so it was always labs and photography worked out quickly i didn't like being in commercial photography and photography to me was more the art practice of it and i and like i like sculpting and stuff but i wasn't I didn't want to see myself making a living off using a camera. I don't know, it felt weird doing that. I did a bit of that and I just didn't like it. The labs were my kind of escape into that. What kind of stuff did you shoot mostly? Like commercially or privately, personally? Just personally. 
my personal work was like kind of like it's not a portraiture, but it's like a surrealist take on portraiture. So I do a lot of like very unorthodox darkroom practices. Darkroom, okay. So it's all very analog, and I'd like make sculptures and with photographic elements like. You know, I'd print on wet concrete and then shatter it so you, where you didn't know where the image was and then you'd end up with these shards of an image like embedded cool. in concrete or make photograms, solarized film, all those like very traditional unorthodox practices, which, you know, I kind of studied art and photography and then managed to exhibit a bit when I was doing that and then I haven't really done too much to be brutally honest in last 10 years on that front but been focusing on digital printing i guess more than on like other people's other work. people's projects i guess do you get that sort of same excitement of printing other people's i do at times yeah like you're working with someone and it's just like i don't know the excite you I, I run off excitement from others a lot of the time so it's like someone's having the greatest time you know they're seeing their dream come to life and yeah. it's like we're pushing it, we're like, I don't know, tearing it apart and building it back to make it exactly what it wants. I'm getting pumped. I'm, I don't know, it's real fun at times. You know, it's, uh, it's the same as when you're making it and you're kind of seeing it come for yourself. Like, yeah. you're getting that same high. It's interesting because, like, the person's already taken the photo, they've seen the photo on the mm. screen, but then it's like it's another... It's another thing level. because depending on the screen you're looking at, how that's gonna kind of translate. Yeah. Then also it's like, so you're looking at it on the screen, the screen's bright, the screen's illuminated by lights on the screen. And then you're like, oh, how about we go on a really flat matte paper or something? And then it changes the whole feel of it. And you kind of, I don't know, you're playing with the, you're playing with the surface as well that's different. So you're moving it from the digital realm yeah. into the physical realm and it's pretty much every paper is almost like every paper will change the feel completely like how so like color wise or not really as much color wise the vibe of the feel the feel you get from something it's more of an emotional thing i find with like paper like it'll feel right it'll feel it can give you you know like i look around here like, say, for example, that photo up there on the wall, you probably can't see it, but it's a, <laughs> it's a really dark picture of an echidna by Rebecca Dagnall. It's on a Katzen photographic crag, which is a really smooth matte paper. It just, the black areas just fall into this velvety kind of really kind of slick. And I'm just surprised at how crystal clear yeah. it's come out. Yeah, like, like that paper will give you that depth and it's like, but then if you printed that on, say, a, a shiny paper, the black would end up being a bit more oily. It would look a bit more wet. It, it just wouldn't give you that, I don't know, that feel that you get from something like that. It's almost like a, I don't know, it's hard to explain at times, but you can kind of feel yeah. that it's right and it's you're changing the... It's interesting because... Um when like when you've done something over and over that's only when you can see like the nuances of it yeah. whereas like someone like me who hasn't like fully dived into the print world and fully like looked at and yeah. felt like the different papers and like seen how they 
they responded like you I can't really tell like I can tell these are amazing like mm. clear images but um, it's almost like any other industry like if, if you're just new into photography yeah. you're not going to be able to tell what's a good photo or not or oh, fashion exactly. design or whatever yeah no it's exact that, that's why when people do come in I, I do like I like sitting down with someone talking about the image what they actually want to get out of that image and then how we can work out a paper that will give you that feel because there's nothing worse than seeing an image die on a piece of paper more or less like you see it and it's like someone's made a bad choice on paper and you know that it might be a 2% difference, but that's what I'm living on is that 2% that you improved it by or yeah. not. You know, it might be minute, but there's something about that, that little yeah. bit that you can just get it from looking good to looking bloody sick. <laughs> like, yeah, so it's not, it's not only like when someone comes in they're getting, you know, their stuff printed, they're getting kind of, they're looking at it through your eyes and you're yeah. kind of giving you advice on what paper will do exactly. what and so what colour will do what. So most people will kind of, will sit down, we'll do a couple of test prints, look at it on a couple of papers. I'll kind of get a vibe of what they're after, work out how I can achieve that. Then I'll be like, oh, like, you know, do you want to look at this sort of, like, you want to look at a textured paper? How about we look at this one or this one? And then... Oh, like, and then I might like drop in like, hey, just like human this one. You know, like let's look at this one. Yeah, it's more like experimenting. Yeah, it's interesting. Like it's, it's the same creative process where you're like trying different things, you're seeing exactly. what's working, and then a lot of the time I'll look at it and I'll know what paper's gonna be in the paper. I'll have, I've, I don't know. I've looked at so many images. Yeah, that you're like, I think this paper's for that. Yeah. Some people will just straight up trust me and I'll be like, what do you think? And you'll be like, oh, it's this paper. But then sometimes it won't feel right. It'll, like yep. you'll print a test and you'll be like, no, I'm wrong. Like, let's go with this one. So what are the kind of defining factors of like a certain style of photo that fits a certain type of paper? Is there something you can... Nah, it's, it's more... It's a bit more like, I don't know, like some papers will have like a like there are technical elements to it like you know some papers will have like a really good dmax so they'll have a good density like black density point and stuff they'll be able to hold variations of black really nicely where some won't and they'll just kind of block up cut or they'll block up the black areas some won't have a great color space so they won't be able to show huge ranges of color like so Maybe you could talk about specific types of paper and then what they do okay, best, yeah. maybe like five or so. Okay, like let's go into like, say, like a huge shift I've seen in like the last, say, 15 years or so was matte papers being able to have large colour space. So it was like Canson and Hanumir really pushed that where before, like if you had red in an image and you tried to print it on a heavy matte paper, it would just be maroon and muddy. And yeah. There'd be no separation. When so now... Color, color space is how well it holds. Like, it can separate color and have, like, a different... If you look at it like a spectrum. Yeah. How big that spectrum can be is where, like, so... If you're trying to fit as much detail into a paper, and some will yep. be, have a larger realm than others. So, like, say, the, the Canson Photographic, for example, like... I think it's because I'm looking at a print on it right now. 
beautifully smooth paper, quite white, the actual makeup of the paper, really smooth. It's so amazing I'll... how <laughs> well it's hold like, like, yeah. like I can't believe that used to be a white piece of paper. <laughs> exactly, right, like it's, it's wild and like it has the ability to change tone and hold tone and show those really subtle separations of colour and black like the black to white points a huge range like those smoky grays that it holds or you know i can hear the these really musty like that's on the same paper the musty kind of oranges and it's that array of color in it like mm. all those variations it's able to kind of keep without blocking them out as one tone yeah i think that's the key what's the difference between say like a cheap because online you can get you can get photos printed for cheap you can go to office works yeah. um what are the main so factors like, mo most of those papers would be really really cheap papers yeah they wouldn't be archival for like it's a big separation like a lot of my papers are well all my papers are archival using like top line papers top line inks and all of that so i know that the images are going to last. They're not going to change colour. They're not going to yellow. They're not going to fade. They're going to last for a long period of time before there will be any move. Like, if you throw those papers into in the perfect archival conditions, there will not be a shift in them, they say, for at least 220 years. So there will be no fade, no yellowing, no nothing. It will look like the day I printed it, if it is stored correctly in like the perfect conditions if it's just pinned on the wall for example mm. with direct light no protection that paper i think they rated a 60 65 or 66 could be 68 actually in free country for example i think it's 68 if it's not protected with direct light as direct sunlight on it then it shouldn't move like, that's pretty wild, where, like, I've got photos that have disappeared from, like, from, you know, when I've got them from the old, like, photo lab with the 6 by 4s when yeah. I was a kid, like, they're gone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they like, fade and they fade, they yellow, they disappear. These papers, I know they're not going to do that, not for that, not in that time frame. Yeah. So that's a huge difference. I'm using kind of... So like my main papers I use are like Hunter Miller, Canson. They're the two main brands. I also use quite a lot of Ilford, Algami. Hunter Miller and Canson are two of the oldest paper manufacturers on earth. Like Hunter Miller's been operating on the same site since 15, I think it's 1584. Like Why is Hunter so good and so popular? It's the oldest. It's just been there forever. I think it's, um, it's time, like they've really, like Cunnamule and Canson are two, in my opinion, the two best photographic papers and for digital printing. The range is huge. They've got a huge variety of papers and they make some like incredible papers that have like, I don't know, they're passionate about paper and like delivering on papers that are like, they've got some, huge range, like Conamule's got their natural range, like the hemp and the bamboo, and then they go into the, you know, like the German etching, which is a 
looks like an old um, etching paper or they've got the photo rag which is real smooth or the burrito that uh, kind of looks like an old fiber paper or you can go into the metallic which is just wildly kind of shiny yet uh, beautifully eggshell color it's like they I don't know they kind of push it they use the it's not only are they making technically good papers they're also making papers that will withstand the conditions that we want them to withstand where you know your office works are just pushing it out yeah. on <laughs> I don't I like you look at it and you question whether or not half the time it's a calibrated like yeah. or profile yeah. like when you look at some of the results you can see yeah and but you know it's all sorts of very different it's a very different type of printing and I, I look at it as you know two different spectrums completely like um, yeah a lot of young yeah. creatives like I guess one they don't really have the knowledge of like the difference between yeah. a high quality print and a non-high quality print oh exactly um, and then I guess if they're having you know, they want to have an exhibition or something and they got to think about like the cost of it. like the cost of printing and the cost of framing. It's like, it's kind of easy to just oh, yeah. go that route, but it's, um, it's kind of, it's why like, I like to, I really like to chat about it. Yeah. So I like to be able to, you know, like give someone all the information we can find the best possible outcome. And I, try to work out a way to get it at the best possible price as well so we can't like I would much rather see like a young creative have a kick ass show. Yeah. That like that looks good than Yeah. It builds it up. Yeah. It makes it better if everyone's going hard, it makes makes the scene better. Yeah. For and sure. there's a lot of talented people around and I'd like to I don't know. I like to give my little, my little input to it all, and like, and uh, see it kind of thrive. Yeah, and I think it's not even that much more expensive when you think about it. Like office works in bed, because like the print even you did for me that was like seventy bucks or something. Yeah. And you think about like, for that small extra, yeah, price it like goes way longer. That's gonna that, like um, I don't know if you remember the paper. I do, we printed that on. What did we print on? We printed, it was a, was it on like, I think it might have been on, it was, let me think, oh my mind's slipping me. But like it would last. 100 years. Yeah, like 100 years compared to whatever, yeah. like a cheaper brand. Was that on a, that was a mat, that was on the Cancer Photograph 8. Yeah, yeah it was. But yeah. fine glass, so it didn't matter because we wanted to match a semi. Yep. And um, yeah, I I compared it with the because I got yeah. one cheaply done and like the difference was just like yeah. amazing. Like yeah, with the the higher quality paper, it's just like if if you're listening, guys, and you're you want to photo print it, like just do it properly because like you can really tell in the detail and the color and everything. And um, yeah, I just had no experience with printing, so I didn't even know that there would be that difference. But then once I saw it and then I was like okay you want to make that in like that small investment and exactly it's gonna last it, it, it's also little things like you know I write profiles for my papers that I print to so I like I calibrate so this the computer is talking to the printer in a way that 
I can look at it here and know how it's going to react to there on the different papers, and they're going to get the most out of those papers. Do you use a device to calibrate? Yeah. What do you use? So you're using like um, to write a profile. Yeah. Is it? Um, yeah. So like, what device do you use to calibrate the screen? So to my oh, so my screen. The printing. Like I calibrate my like this is an ESO, so I've got like my ESO spider thing that I calibrate the screen to, and then I manipulate the color space of that screen to match the paper. Yeah. So I like pull out that light, which is um, neutral. So it's um it's a D fifty five a D fifteen D sixty five lighting conditions which are like just optimum lighting conditions so there's no casts and stuff so I'll print out like a color card one of these charts yep. to be able to see like uh, how it's reacting after I've written a profile for the paper so the paper will be good yep. I know the profile for the colors and the they don't make the screen reflect the colour of the paper. Like, I'll be looking at the white point of the paper because, like, all papers aren't exactly... Their white point isn't white as yep. such, you know? Like, there's tone in it that you can match the white on your screen to look like that. So then, yeah, it's just, like, a big old process to write a colour space and you yeah. change the hues of the screen, each colour. And, well, yeah. To get it exactly how you want it so it looks right on my screen that when it goes to print it'll look like that i can change between different color spaces and stuff so i can see how it will react and then yeah write all that stuff for the printer as well and for the paper each individual paper and they all have their color space and you then go through a profile you profile it all and everything talks to each other nicely yeah and um but then yeah like going back talking about getting people to kind of do it I'm, I'm also like there are it's one of those things where you kind of want people to like even if people do come in i, I generally will kind of open up and show them all the yeah. papers they want just even so like even if it's not for that show that they're doing at that moment but like they have an idea of what's possible yeah the next time it can be you know they they have a better idea and an understanding also i don't try and drown people in technical elements of printing yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of the time like i think it's um you can't just bring them in you can just show them you just do a little yeah. test and you say this is the difference between this yeah um i don't think people care too much about like if they want to know any like it's like you know my lights are set to a certain color set so like temperature and <coughs> there's all those elements in here too. oh yeah i didn't even think of that so like these leds are uh, calibrated to um to make the whites really white to make the white white and not have oh, cast okay. and not have color light like no you have color in the oh, light okay, interesting so yeah. everything's always set to a certain thing so it's kind of I eliminate them, but I'm like, half the time, I'm like, someone's coming to get a print done. Yeah. They, we want it to be, unless they want to know those things, and then I'll, I'll tell them, like, all the different elements of how to do something, but most of the time it's more about how can we make that image look good? Yeah. And to me, that's the most important thing. It's like, rules are made to be broken. If we keep everything in the right place, yeah, we can throw them out the wall and, like, know how to manipulate them, like, you know, I had a friend once ask me if I could um, 
who was doing the work and he wanted to print something on 500-year-old legal documents, which were pigskin. I'm a vegetarian, yeah. <laughs> I was still like, yeah, let's do it. And like, you know, then we kind of started playing and working out the best way. Sort of like painting emulsion onto the paper and ended up having to feed it through on a board. And, you know, I'm, I'm in for the experiment as much as I am for anything. And we worked around how we could get it to, yeah. to work, even though it wasn't really in my, my normal wheel. Yeah, yeah, you just wanted to see it happen. <coughs> but, you know, because like I know how the machine works and how it reacts. If someone comes with something a bit off-key, we can be like, if we do this, we'll do that. So let's see what will yeah. happen. What would you um, say to maybe a photographer or artist wants to have their own exhibition, but they want to sort of like, they want nice looking prints, but they want to keep the cost down to their, maybe it's their first show or something like that. There are ways around that. Like I'm, I try and like, I will talk to people about like sizing to optimize papers. Yeah. You know, like you look around, I've got all these different size rolls of paper, how we can fit a paper, on, like images onto a roll without, you know, like a couple of, you know, a centimeter may end up costing you a heap more money because you're printing off up a roll rather than across a roll. Or, yeah. So I always try and like encourage like, to like, we can talk about those sort of things and like, you know, subtle drops in size so we can utilise the most amount of paper without creating waste. There will then be just, you know, we can get cheaper prints out. Also, when it comes to framing, like, there's physical sizes of materials, like the backing board, the glass, and you can kind of match things so you can optimise the amount you can get out of everything because by eliminating waste, yeah, it's the easiest way to go about it. I, what are your thoughts on prints that don't have frames for an exhibition, like you just put it on the wall? It's not a bad option, it's a good option. Like, I used to install artwork a lot. I've installed hundreds of shows where I've pinned prints straight to the wall. How do you normally install that just on like a regular wall? Like what, like, do you, what do you use? Am I allowed to like hit the wall, yeah. like put a mark into the wall? Yeah, maybe give me an example before you can and if you can't. <laughs> Alright, like say for example, if I can put a mark on the wall, I'll probably either put a pin through the print if I've got a border. So just get like a really fine pin or a museum pin and nail it straight through the top corner of the print. What if the wall's like concrete wall? Doesn't matter. Like a pin, like what type, like a special type of pin? Or? Just like a, like a, a hard nut. Yeah, like, no, well, you, you do have these like, I don't have any on me, but like, Special like museum like pins, so they're oh, also okay. known as German pins. And you can pins. sort of hammer them in? Yeah, you can hammer them in. You can use small nails. Another way is like put a screw in the wall and use a magnet, uh, like to put a plate up, it's a magnet to the wall. You can use like three end tabs and like plate a magnet board, then pin magnet yeah. to them. You know, you can literally you can tab print and then hang off tabs. A million ways. If you got hanging wire, you can drop string down, run a batten across it, clip the work, and hang off the clips. Yeah. It's like somewhere like the Moors building in Freo. Hung shows there where we've 
you know, you're not allowed to mark, you're not allowed to act. You've got wires or something? You've got to hang wires, so you like throw the wires down, put a crossbar with like hard plastic, and you see all bulldog clips. Yep. Click the print in, remove these things, so you can't see it, and then hang off that. Put oh, one okay. at the top, one at the bottom, and if you paint them white, you don't see them. But like, yeah, there's heaps of different ways to get it up without framing. I am a big fan of frames. Yeah. Do, frames you, do most work. Uh, photography shows sell it framed and then when they no. buy it, they get the frame? No. Most photography I find will have framed and on-frame work. So a bit of for both? Sale. Like, you sell your frameworks, you also sell them on-framed. Like, personally, like, if I was selling work, I a lot of the time sold it unframed, unless the frame had, like, you know. Because I guess one of the things that might hold back a lot of creators is, like, they're thinking, oh, do I invest in this frame? And then if this work doesn't sell, then I've kind of got this framed work that I spent a lot of money on I, sitting um, there compared to, like, if it was unframed, then it's, like, less of a, a gamble as whether that work's going to sell. I remember when I was exhibiting first, when I was still at uni, I actually had only two frames. I had two frames made, and if I was ever in a group show, I'd take the work out of the frame, put the work I'm exhibiting in, yeah. and like, frame it up and... Just print it the same size? Like. More or less, yeah. Cut a mat if I needed, throw it in, send it out, exhibit it. And I suppose there's like good quality frames as well, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, it's millions of framers out there. Like what's, do you know much about framing in terms of like, like high quality woods and glass and? Yeah, so you've got different grades of glass. I know more about glass than I do about the woods. Um, I kind of, I refer to a lot of my framers, like friends that are framers, like there's quite a few of them that I work closely with that know their stuff and they're the people yeah. that. Who like, who do you recommend sort of in Perth to check out? So there's like case frames in Freo, there's Plastic Sandwich in Jollymont, Art Prez, Art Presentations in Claremont, Art Framers um, in Claremont yep. and stuff, they're really good like as well, like they're some of my, my favourites. So if, um, if you're kind of giving recommendations for photographers yeah. having this sort of show, you reckon if they want to do it on a budget, like do high quality prints, but print it like maybe have it on display without if you've got like a lot of photos you can do it without uh, even having a mix sometimes works like really mix. well so you can invest in a few frames that you maybe. can you can reuse like a high quality yeah. frame you can reuse yeah there's that's always a good way but it also depends like depends on where you're exhibiting the work itself like frames are good they also have protection in the work like Having anti-reflective glass, for example, that's UV resistant is going to increase the longevity of the work. Yeah, it's going to cost probably double having normal glass. But then there's, you know, it, it also protects from being scratched and damaged. Like there is a gamble in putting the work in a public space that is exposed. Someone could walk past it and their jacket switch, scratches it. Or, but that can also happen to your glass. Mm. <laughs> you know, like, I'd rather the glass. And the, but now with the digital print, you can always get another print made if it scratches. But yeah. 
I don't know. I think it's a it's a tough one. It, it really it depends on the work. Yeah. It's. I don't know. I think there's some good framers, and like a lot of them will will look after you as well. Like they actually like make what, deals. What sort of um sort of for your average print, like decent mm. quality print, mm. and then like maybe for example the same sort of style that I got printed. Yeah that sort of stuff and then framed like with a, like a pretty nice frame what what do you reckon that would cost cost yeah oh, i wouldn't have too many ideas but i reckon well it's like an a1 wasn't it yeah like 77 for the print so you're probably looking at i'd have to call up one of the frames. oh yeah i think it, it always I think it'd probably be a few hundred bucks for a frame, easy. Yeah, okay, well that's not, I guess that's not too bad if, you know, you want to have, maybe you're having a show and you have like 10 works and like three a frame. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, something like that. It and then work. And then you can like reuse. Yeah, exactly. Like I've reused a lot of frames in my life. As long as, you know, might have to get them patched up a little here yeah. and there, but, you know, you can get away with a lot. Yeah, so I think that'll be a good start just for like if there's a creative like, yeah. like a person, like a photographer listening and they want to have their first show, like have have some camera. printed just up on the wall and then yeah. maybe like three I nice frames. Yeah, it can really show like, I don't know, it changes the feel of the work as well, throwing it in a frame. Sometimes I like, I don't know, some works you want the movement. Like, I just printed a show for... Um, Max Pam is going to photo festival in France and they're on like these really, this really thin Japanese paper an origami paper and he wants them to covering the wall so they're going to be two like the two images in a print but he wants them to be like two one of them they'll be like two on top of each other so there'll be four images in a column and they're going to cover like entirety of like these two walls so I think there's about 70 odd images, like prints. Yeah. They're big prints as well. But like he wants- How, how big? I think they're 110 by 78 or something. Yeah. If my memory serves. Um, and like, so they're gonna cover the space. Yep. And it, but he wants the movement. So he wants the paper to be kind of flowy. So you like, we print it on a lightweight paper to really get that. So is the ink? The ink drips a little bit more, or ink looks like almost like a. It's they're kind of a bit like softer in a lot of the tones because it's a yellowy paper, but um they're not as punchy as say a, they're still pretty honest. But like we want the paper to be have have movement. Yeah. Where if you put it in the frame, it's very still. It's very kind of. He wanted the paper. Oh, so he's not, he's not framing him. No, nah, they're all pinned on the wall. That's more what I'm saying. Like, oh, because he wanted okay. that intention of like the image to be more movement in it. Okay. So instead of having it very like rigid on your frame, yeah, he went the opposite way for the that, for that work. And then he's got behind that, he's got like more traditional of these old darkroom prints on exhibition at the show, and they're going to be, you know, framed very kind of serious museum framing. Yeah. But then the big area will be the new work, which is he wants movement in the paper, so he didn't want a frame for it. Okay. So, so like, 
Yeah, it really depends on the feel of the work as the well. The feel of the work and like the style of the exhibition yeah. you want. Like so that it's all not comes into it because yeah, just from someone who doesn't know much about this, yeah. book, like I'm just thinking, oh, you just print a photo, you put it in a frame, like mm. that's it. As most people think, uh, like with yeah. any creative field, uh, field, it's just like interior design, or you just yeah. whack some chairs or whatever in there. Yeah. It? Like so much more comes into the decision making behind the paper Everything, and the ink yeah. and the, the printer and the frame. Well, I always think of this old, uh, you know, this old quote that a filmmaker, Jean-Luc Godard, made about filmmaking. And he always said, a dolly, he said, well, a dolly shot is a moral statement. Playing as minute as a dolly shot is a moral statement. And it's true, like every little element will build it up and it's, yeah. it's all as important as the last. Yeah. Okay. So, and um, yeah, I want to sort of chat to you about some artists that you've worked mm. with and shows that you've um, worked on as well. Maybe just start with um, Max Tam. Yep. So, yeah, how did you start working with Max? And then tell us about this recent show that sounds really interesting in, in France. So, Max, um, Max was actually a lecturer of mine at uni. We became friends and yeah, we've, we've done, we've printed quite a bit together over the years, and um, it's, uh, it's fun, like, working with Max. It's, uh, he's always got a good story to tell you, and, like, his photos are amazing, and, um, yeah, just sit down and talk to someone like him on a really, like, long wind when you're working with him. Yeah. It's, it's, it's real fun. You get a lot out of it, and he's... He's big on... Um Storytelling, like just I've got yeah. um, one of his books as well. It's just like it's all about it's journey, story, diary. Yeah. yeah, diary sort of these document, yeah, documentary style. It's cool. It's yeah, this personal journey of his life, and you know he's got some wild stories as well that are like talking about India. I remember him telling me about you know he walked to the Le Manali Highway the year it opened. Him and his wife. Um, when they opened it up to tourists, him and his wife stole workers' permits and walked the highway and like things like that, you know. He's well, just a guy that went out and just did some really crazy stuff and has some good stories to tell and he knows his stuff as well. Like he knows the history of the media of um the art form really well. He knows you know, you talk to him about photography and he knows the history, he knows what's going on now, yeah, like, yeah. He know, he's got his finger on the pulse and a lot of yeah, it. Yeah, okay, cool. And which is cool. His, um, his recent show. Yeah. So that's Can opening. you tell us a bit about that? So that actually opens, it's in a, I get the name of the photo festival in France, but it's in like, it's in Normandy. What was it? I could probably find it. Um, I'm going to make a butchery of a, um, a French term if I try, but, um, let's have a look. We'll check it now. Max Tan. International Photojournalism Festival, is it? It's the Festival de Photography. Oh, it's in French. Dev, uh, dev, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to give it a go. You can if you like. That's the name of the festival. Yeah, the caption. Photography de 
But yeah, so it's in Normandy. Yeah. Um, I think they're showing a new body of work being made whilst there last year. And then they've also got some old photographs that appears from the 70s and whatnot. Yeah. So they're more kind of, you know, the traditional darkroom print show and yeah. the new kind of the new works. Which also, like, interestingly, like, shot between, you know, he's, like, got film photos, he's got digital photos, he's got iPhone photos. iPhone, that's cool. <laughs> I sent um, an image over. Do you print many iPhone photos? I actually print quite a lot. They're getting good. <laughs> They're getting better. Like, you can hide a lot more in them now than you used to be able to. They don't block up as quickly. And what are your, what are your, Yeah, what are your thoughts on, like, iPhone prints, like? If they're over sharpened, like they just fall to mm. bits quickly, but you know, they're getting that they're getting really good. Yeah. They're getting really good. Like I can't can't complain with them now. Because I guess the iPhone it's kind of become everyone's documentary. It's become the camera like you're not pulling out an old like you're not pulling out your thirty five to snap an image, you're not pulling yeah. out your old digital point and shoot no more. You're pulling out that. I mean if they had like high quality enough lens it was good of a DSLR, that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I know. We'll get, we'll get there. Like, watching the generations pass, man. It's yeah. crazy how much you can get out of them. But they still block up and they have this, like, weird noise that you see when they go big. Yeah. You can always tell. You can always pick them if you know what you're looking for. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's pretty fun. It's, a, uh, I don't know, no day's the same. Yeah. You know, like, you got... Yeah, so many different people, like, you know, you got... Is that maybe, one, is that one of the most enjoyable things? Uh, yeah. Print, like, you're seeing all the variety of work and then... And then you just get to decorate your rooms with uh, work. Like, I've got, I've had to put a ban on, like, I'm not allowed to buy any work at the moment. Oh, minute. yeah. I've got so much artwork now over the years because it's easy to get. You're looking at it and you're like, oh, that's dope, I want yeah. that. <laughs> How do I get that? Yeah. <laughs> make a trade or buy it, you know, we do all that. Um, but then you go into the other realm of it all and you've got, you know, like from Max, you know, there's people like Ian Strange, for example, that I've worked with for a long time. And, you know, me and Ian, have, we have a great time working together. It's a... Yeah, how did you, how did you meet Ian? He was printing some, a series, he was living in America. He's from he's from Perth originally, and I can't remember why. He used to print with Tony, who was here, and then when Tony left, he had to, I can't remember why he was printing here. It was for a show, it was for a collection. I can't remember, but there was some reason he was printing in Perth when he was living in New York, and they um uh, he contact they contact he he contacted me and was like, need to get some printing done. Yeah. So he came in, we kind of sat down, we did some test printing, we got the work right. We printed the show, or whatever it was, and it went off, and then we just started working together. Yeah. Well, he was like, you know, I like working with you, and I like working with him, and we kind of just... He's gone, like, he's pretty internationally... Yeah, like... Now. Like, he's busy living in America now, I think. Yeah, he's back on the east... Uh, he's on the west coast. But, like, he's shooting some pretty cool stuff. He's shown me a few samples of it so far. The new series will be good when that gets pushed out. I don't know how far away that is. But like, you know, just before that, he did some work in um, Cincinnati. He did a new series of work. You know, he, pl 
in between, like shot it, flew back to Perth. Me and him sat down and mm-hmm. edited the ho- like, did a bit of editing. We did like color editing that was print to get the prints looking the way he wanted them to look. We printed them. He flew them back to America to exhibit them over there, oh. and then I sent him another bunch of work with him. But like, yeah, he came back to work with me because in me and him have worked together for a while now that we kind of know the language, that yeah, we, okay. we're, the, the visual language that we both are. Do you kind of, um, the more you get to know like a photographer and the art, the more, oh, man, like, the more you get to know like the type of paper that fits their style and that sort of thing. So even it's easier the colour. Like, yeah, even the colour. Like you could, s- if I've worked with you for a few times, you can send me a work and I'll know how to grade it to make it look like your work. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it, people have a very distinct tone, very distinct colours. They can vary slightly, but they always go back. Like, you know kind of the rough area. You know when a, a blue is too red or a yellow is too, too, like, green. It's not giving you that warmth, yellow, yeah. or, or the tone of a gra- like. That photo up there is Kevin Ballantyne. Um, he just has these nice greys, and he wants that long greys. That it's crazy one. how crystal clear like these prints <laughs> are. It's like because I don't, yeah, I don't. I, you know, I look at you know photos on mm. a screen most of the time, and like the only time I'm seeing prints is like if if it's in someone's house or if it's at yeah. an exhibition. But it's just like the detail you get out of print is like. Yeah, far beyond anything you get in digital. It's, it's always like it's a balancing act, really. Like some, like for example, that paper, the hundred mil satin, slightly soft, but it has this beautiful softness. It's not. It doesn't look out of focus. It just softens the noise slightly, and it just. But like those have like these nice grey tones. It doesn't hit black. It doesn't hit white. It sits in the world between it at all times. Yeah. And I know exactly like where he he he'll send me a file, and I'd I'd know exactly the tone like that to make it look like even if it's unedited like he's given me his film to scan in the past I scanned a frame and it's like you just tweak it to make it look like one of his photos because you know that's how it's gonna be because you just know yeah. people's space really well and then you send it off to them and they're like yeah good or they'll make their tweak and. Yeah, it's about, you know, it's like anything. The longer you work with someone, the more that relationship kind of builds up and you know how to talk to each other, how to work with each other. You know, elements of that person, like, you know, you can you can recall all that. Like, I can look at proofs, old proofs of someone's work that I've got archived away so I can work out types of paper, look at series colours and stuff like that. So I can go back to it. One of the most incredible prints that I've seen, I just have this memory of seeing it. It was like a huge square print of um, Jeff Walls when he was exhibited oh, yeah. in uh, the Archive of WA. Yeah, that was back a while back. Yeah, I think maybe I was still in high school or something like this, but yeah, just like Jeff. seeing this huge print on the wall. I think it was a lot of stuff backlit. Yeah, those light boxes, three panel light boxes. Yeah, Generally. and I think he shoots medium format as well. Yeah, sure. I'm pretty sure he's shooting medium. I think he is. He's shooting large, medium or large, I can't remember. Oh, yeah, maybe. 
I can ask Gary. Maybe Manny Lodge, but the old director of uh, the art gallery, Gary Defoe, who was um, he wrote all the he was doing intros for Jeff Wall's work books yeah. and stuff. Big fan. You know, the leading leader. I think I might have seen a talk. Did he have a talk? He did a talk upstairs uh, yeah. at West End Workers yeah, Studio. Yeah, <laughs> he knew everything. He knows <laughs> everything about Jeff. Um, like I remember him coming in and being like, when he came in here once, he's like, oh, Jeff's got the same printer now. <laughs> oh, well, he's, they grew up in the same town. Oh, okay. So, like, they've known each other for a long time. And he was the art writer. Jeff Wall was the artist, so they met on that front, and he's written for Jeff over the years, and that, that was why Jeff Wall had the show here. And like, But, yeah, they're multiple panel works. They're beautiful works. Jeff Wall's not my favourite photographer in the world. Don't do as much for me as others, but, like, I remember going to that show, and, like, I can still remember where every image was hung. Like, yeah. in the space. Like, you know, it's like... I, I say I don't like him, yet I remember in detail. Like, I'll probably tell you what I was wearing when I went there. I don't know. Like, it's... Uh, like, it's crazy how that... It can do that to you. Like, it's, it's almost like a religious... To me, like, looking at art, it's, it's a religious experience of, like... Like, walking into a gallery is me walking into my church before I left. Yeah. It's kind of like... Um, when you go to galleries, you sort of find what works really sits with you mm. and like yeah that was definitely an exhibition that sat with me I think sat with a lot of people that one it's yeah. a good one I've just never seen a print that huge like what, what's sort of the biggest prints you've done I've done some pretty big ones the biggest work I've ever printed was uh, well the, the absolute biggest one I was ever doing was a Perth Festival shop Peter Castles I think was the artist name, their name, I can't remember exactly. It was a whole back corner. It was a vinyl. 17 metres by 4 metres, I think it was. Because isn't that bigger than... Bigger than the printer, the but printer. it was multiple panels. Oh, okay, that's how you do it. So you've got to... How yeah. would you even make a print that big? Do you, like, you take them out and then you stick them? Oh, these were literally on a material called Phototech, which is like kind of uh, recently like a show that had the big phototech prints was that I did was at the Art Gallery of Australia with um oh, what was her name um what's her what did she do there it was a show that was um it was called Spa, uh, Space Starship Star Machine or oh yeah the um it was an Iranian artist um I've got the book for the show on the table over there. Uh, Rachel curated it. It was um, Al Kasimi, Al Samimi or something. Al Kasimi, yeah. Fa uh, Far uh, Far Farah. Um, uh, is it? I can't remember her name. Sorry. For her first solo exhibition in Australia, Al Kasimi presents yeah. Star Machine: An Installation of Photography and yeah. Videography. So that had multiple works that were about five metres by four metres. And they were printed on panels. So print continuous panels, cut them out, and then they would be stuck on the wall like that. And then I had images hanging over the top of them. Okay, is that all done in here? Yeah. How do you do it in here? This here is like, <laughs> was it like 
taking up half of the... So what, how I did that was I had the machine running, I put a table in between the desk and that table, so the print kind of comes across that table and goes up to my other desk. I was cutting the length as it went. It's a dance. How much, like if you go to Officeworks for your little printer at home, it's 50 bucks. How much is <laughs> a carton of ink for one of these bad boys? For one of these cartons? <laughs> They're 700 mil. They have a shitload of money. <laughs> I get depressed every time I buy them. How much are they? I think, what is it? I can't even remember. I think it might be 450. Jeez. 500? I can't remember. Make three key, uh. That's crazy. Oh, they're different. They're different colors. Oh, so each color is like 700 mil. Oh, 11 so colors. Each color is like 450 dollars for that. Yeah, I think it's about four and a half grams for a set of ink. Jeez. Something like that. I can't remember. That's crazy. <laughs> Man, a little part of me dies every time I buy ink. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like you know the same. It's a, It's a, That's where most of my money goes. Is ink. And that, that is where you're paying most of your money in a print. Epson, Epson, eh? Epson, yeah. I'm a big Epson fan. I've, um, I don't yeah, know. I like, do they make the best inks in the world? Who, who makes the best inks? Well, like, with these sort of printers, it's mainly, you've got your... Oh, you've got to buy it for the brand, and then yeah. Epson makes... So Epson's making that printer, yeah. which I like. I, I'm a big Epson fan. Other people use Canon. What, what are, like, the major... Players. Um, yeah, what are the big so the big brands? Canon and um, Epson are the two biggest for photographic printing. Then you got, you know, your brothers, your HPs, they're not as accurate, they're not as good, those plotters, like, they're good, but they're not, like, they don't have the depth of colour space as a lot of them as the iPhone. And then also, I've used an Epson machine Ten years. <laughs> Ten years. I've always owned Epson, but like prior to that, working in the other labs, like I reckon we're going back about well closer to twenty years that I've been sitting at Epson machines and yep. never sat at any other digital printers besides Epson. You know, I've used like old like jet machines, like you know the Pegasus and things like that, which are sick machines, like jets. But having a lifetime ago now, it's a different version of me: longer hair and shorter beard. Skinny your belly. <laughs> um, can you talk about uh, the process behind Sarah Barlow's work? Who included at the WIA? So that that work kind of came about with um, so like the curator would hit me up about the prints. Yep. We we discussed it for a while. At the time, I wasn't actually really familiar with Sarah Barlow's work. You know, a couple of emails go past. I asked for a line of information, you know, like what paper does they norm does she normally print on and this and that and like sends me some files, gives me some colour card like colour reference and things. And then from that it's a kind of more communication with other people about because she obviously wasn't here during the print process. Yeah, because she she wasn't here, so how how did you sort of communicate? By email at the time, we were talking and then other people were... I guess she had to trust your eye. With trust my eye on the print, as well as other people that had seen the work exhibited. Oh, okay. and did she send me cards? 
a lot of the time with that sort of stuff, people will send me oh, references, like little cutouts, little cutouts, little prints of things. Right, so I'll get some form, I'll be able to physically look at something and yeah. be like, this is where I've got to be. But if I don't have that, it's a, it's a gamble. Like I'm looking at a screen image, I'm hoping that the calibration is accurate. Yeah. But in all accounts, he was happy with the print, so that's all that matters at the end. So from uh, what I heard, he was... Cause well, like we spoke via email at the time, and then was there a particular process with the, the colours and the? the Hers were actually or? quite easy, to be honest. Like it wasn't; they were nice files. Yeah. Which was, you know, someone tells you they wanted one point five by one point five meter print. I get a bit worried sometimes because, in terms of files, like yeah, if if you have like a two megabyte image, it's hard to say how big you can go. So you don't like, well, like say for example, a color image is going to be at least double the size of black and white image in yeah. megabytes because it's got more, more information. information. Yeah. If you got huge separations of color and like huge tonal range, it's going to be a larger file than say with a little, you know, with like a few color, quite desaturated or something. You know, a sunset with the huge rates of reds and yellows, it's going to be a bigger than a, just a kind of really kind of two-toned image. Like if I took a picture of you here and then a picture, same sort of dress or whatnot behind a colourful background, it's going to be way bigger. Yeah. So it's like without looking at an image, it's hard to gauge. You can okay. push the hell out of an image though. There's ways of like manipulating to... The old rule of thumb is 5% intervals, you increase it by. Yeah. Sharpening, blurring, adding noise as you go. Oh, okay. Until you hit your side. Have you... I've done some big upscales. Have you seen what AI is doing with... Uh, yeah, keep an eye on it. Yeah. Like, it's getting good. It's getting better. So it's like, it's it's good. It's, it's one of those things where I'm glad AI is coming in. Yeah. It's getting good and it's like, it's going to make my life a lot easier. People aren't going to come with like a, a thumbnail and ask me to make it a wallpaper. Yeah. If AI can make it bigger, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It's, no, it's good technology. But sort of like what's like the ideal size, say, like average colour image? So like, like, like ideal to make your life easier. How many megabytes do you... Oh, yeah, that varies. It's like you generally want... In an ideal world... Yeah. I'm printing something at 300 DPI, which is 300 um, pixels per inch. Yep. So, if image, like, so in relation to the image, is the amount of pixels I'll get. So, say like a, a six by four image. It's what, like 1,200 pixels. Is it 1,200? Yeah. Like, yeah. I can't remember. Right, so it's more on that size, and oh, okay. however that relates to size. Oh, okay. Bigger is better, but if I can print it at 300, or as close to, I'm happy. But sometimes, you know, it's in your worst moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rules are made to be broken. I've done some pretty big prints on some pretty small files. But then in saying that, sometimes I will, I, I'm pretty honest with that. Like, I'll jump into it, have a look, and be like, no, I can't do that. Like, yeah. that's, that's not going to work. It's going to look like garbage. It's like, how about we go this size? Or can we do it like this? Because 
that size. Doesn't work, yeah. It's not going to work. I, I don't want to take the money. I don't want to print something like that. And yeah. It look crap. How can we work around this? How can we solve this without compromising? What's your thoughts on like print on demand stuff? Like there's a lot of mm-hmm. services that are like, oh yeah, printing, framing, like. Yeah. Well, it looks like they're, they're, they're serving their market. Or power to them. I reckon we slow it down. Yeah. And we, you know, we go, we just, I don't want to just, like also I'm, I'm very conscious about waste. Yeah. And the environmental impact of all of this. Yeah. So I want to just produce for the sake of producing. It's why I like quality. Over I want quantity. quality over quantity. It's why I like, I also, I don't really like, I give people the best possible price. So they don't have to print out an edition. Like I have no minimums and no maximums because I don't want people to have to, you know, to save a couple of bucks, have to print a hundred or something to sell out an edition because then they could be sitting there for yeah. a long period of time. And it's like, print them as you need them. Yeah. We get to see each other more. It's great. Yeah. Like it's a yeah. win-win. <laughs> yeah. Things aren't going to get damaged. It's not more things going into the world that aren't needed. Yeah. Aren't needed yet. So the usual process for a photographer, say like, they sell a work, say they have an online mm. store or something, they, they make a sale and then they like come in, give you the file. A lot of the time, actually a few people that have online stores, we've already sat down and discussed everything. We've had our consultations, I've given them my prices, that we've done all the testing, I've got the files archived away, they might send me an email being like, oh, this okay. name file I sold. This is a size. Some will be like, can you send it off to this person for me? And I'm like, no worries. Bing, bing, bing. It's already set up to print like yeah. that. And print it out, cut it up. Got to take it to a framer, send it off for them. They might pick it up and, you know. So you you could actually, you'd print it and then you would take it to a framer as well. Well, I can get it to a framer, throw in a courier or whatever. If I'm yeah. going to visit them, I'll drop it off. Sometimes, like, you know, it's a... Speak yeah. to a lot of these framers on a regular basis. We're always yeah. working together. And do they ship stuff out or do they, like, as well? Like, if you yeah. um, printed something and you sent it to the framer, like, yeah. do framers usually ship stuff out or...? Sometimes, yeah. Okay. You know, like, people send things. It just, you know, just costs whatever it costs as well to do that sort of stuff. But, like, normally, people send stuff for you, organise it. And yeah, you can make things happen easy enough. Try to simplify everything as much as you can, really. Like, make it so that the creator doesn't have to think too much about that process. Make it as streamlined as possible so they can do what they want to do and they can focus on making work rather than having to... I think that's where those on-demand things are becoming really popular because someone doesn't, you don't have to spend the time yeah, and I mean it was so easy yeah. for me to, um, you know, when I knew nothing about printing or whatever, just like, oh, it looks cheap, you don't have to, you know, yeah. it's quick, it's e- just easy, bang, bang. Yeah. But then the product itself just was pretty crap. Yeah. Um, but I see why people, you know, who yeah. don't know about printing do it, because it kind of looks easy, but it's just better to, like I just advise everybody listening, like actually come in, like chat to your your printer or mm. or whatever and like have a look at 
have a look, work, work it out, see what, yeah. see what's possible. Yeah. There's so much things that are possible with it that like, like look, I, I don't, there's, there's, now I'm like, since I've started, there's a few other labs around even in Perth. And it's like, great, like, there's more options, there's yeah. more people doing it, there's, there's people that care, like, has, it's... Has printing changed over the past 10, 20 years, much? Yeah, yeah, materials have changed, like, printers have changed. Like, you know, you look at that, I'm waiting for Epson to release a new one, the big ones, that one's... When I buy that, I bought that, like, six years ago. And they just print faster, or what, what, what's changed? It changes, like, the accuracy of the head, like, they change the ink makeup in this one, so I've got another printer at the back there, my old one. The, the inks have changed. These ones have got a better UV resistance than those ones. It's got, you know, different greys. They changed the grey makeup of the printer. Instead of being a black, a light black, and a light, light black, they've gone to a, a black, a grey, a light grey, and a dark grey. So it's giving you an extra channel of grey tones that have increased your density in your blacks and like your, your ability to create detail in dark tones and like things like that will move new papers will come out and things like yeah like so do you think prints prints are getting um more detail and yeah they're getting color that, and just lasting longer sort of thing or a lot of it's in archival elements okay so that you can achieve a lot more you can also but it's like detail and color aren't always necessary some images you want a low color space you want them to be soft. It's always about intention and how you want to push it to. Because there's no one. Like that's why I've got so many papers because there isn't one, one size fits all approach to it. So, printing like a huge print isn't always the best thing for an image. Sometimes like a small one looks better. Yeah. Sometimes it's yeah. Sometimes you're like, it's also more intimate at times. I can make this big. Yeah, okay. It's quite intimate. Like, you're going to have to walk right into it instead right. of looking back. And, like, it'll change your relationship with the... It's it's a lot about that. And it's like, what do you want that to do? It's not only, like, let's just print a bigger we can bloody print it. Like, bigger we better is not always the case. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. It's about finding that right. Also, how does it sit in the space that you want to show it in? Oh, okay. So many things to think about like that. I didn't even... Think like, mm. what is the size of the gallery? What feeling do you want from yeah. the person looking at the image? How far are they going to stand away from the image? So I remember a friend of mine, I printed a photo for him. And he wanted to print a 6x4 image, so this big. But he wanted to print a metre by a metre square. So he printed this massive bit of paper so it looked huge. And you just have to walk in and see this tiny little image. And it was great. Like It's kind of like the response you get. Well, like yeah. you can make it a bit, I guess it was maybe a bit humorous. Oh, it was quite humorous. It was him lying laughing, pulling a stupid pose on a, a bed like. But yeah, it was a good image. Yeah, so many things. Like how you can change things and then, yeah, like if it's, you know, I look at that and I'm like, if that image was small, it wouldn't, it wouldn't play. Yeah, yeah. Like, and if it was, it was too, it was like massive. Yeah. It just. Um, it would dominate a room. It would. It yeah. would sc it'd be scary. Where then, like Ian's work, like Ian's work sits nice as a big work. Like it doesn't work as like it wouldn't work as something that's this big. It works as something that's gonna fill a space. 
Because you want to like take in that. Yeah, that the those image. Are, these are, and all these like, I don't know, like a lot of like, like that, that like the Delta's not great, but like when you're looking at something like the Island series, which is like the SOS and the Help Houses. Yep. When you're looking big, you, you see little things like you see paint trips in the, the mm. um, the the lettering. You can see that it's like physical and real, rather than. Just well, and it, for me, it worked, and it, it, <coughs> it feels the same as um, Jeff Wall's work. Mm. It's very cinematic. Like when I look at Jeff Wall's work, it yeah. feels like I'm watching a movie. Like it's yeah. he he talks about how he kind of brings that um, yeah. sort of fantasy element and cinematic element into his work. Same with um, uh, Ian and yeah. stuff. Like I feel like I'm watching like the opening of yeah of a film. So like. It's like when you sit in the cinema, like, why is that screen so big? Because you want to... You want to like, take in yeah, all those little... And so I think it's like... It was like I remember when he did the Dallas series, which was the screens behind the house. I was like, I was down there with him and he was shooting it. Was it in... Where was that? That that one was just down uh, in the southern suburbs. Oh, okay. Uh, it's past Spearwood and all of that. I forget the name of actual suburb that it was in the only house left pretty much and I'm watching the performance because the video work but watching in real time I was like I remember saying to him I was like I, I don't think this work is a print series I didn't think it would give you the feel that you got from it yeah. being a physical thing that was happening in front of the lights all changing I was like nah this stupid won't work as print like that was amazing right yeah can't turn that into a 2D object. Then we did the prints and I was like, they look pretty damn good. <laughs> like, yeah. Pretty happy with how we've got them to look. But like, I didn't, I didn't think it translated as nicely as it did, but like it changed into a different thing. It was like, I saw that and I was like, that's amazing. Like, it was performance. Were, were you kind of like, you kind of like remembering how you felt when you saw it? No, in person and then translating that onto it or you just no it became something completely different oh, okay. so it was like looking at something at a different time frame it was a different thing looking at it still was a different thing completely different to when it was dancing it just changed the whole spectacle and so I look at them in two different ways and now I look at like you know that little sketch the concept drawing yeah, yeah I look at that differently that that reminds me of driving in there rather than any of it, but so to see the screen first time I saw it, but like yeah, the the photos and the performance of the the video work were just, in my opinion, two vastly different works in a way. They obviously can talk to each other because they're the same thing. Yeah, but the feel you get from them is very different. Can you um, talk about sort of the the selling process for prints because yeah it's a tough one like is um because like i was when i started i didn't know much i was like oh just just uh you know you can i can print like as many yeah as i want but then sort of going to a few shows what generally happens is they have like a limited edition sort of thing yeah so the editioning process actually originated from plate printing so where a plate would wear out over time. So they'd do a print run and you'd see that, you know, that was the first print on the plate. 
Well, that was our hundredth print on the plate. It's obviously the plate's wearing out. Be more likely to be inconsistent. So that was the origins of the edition. So the lower the edition number, the more rare and the better it was. That's where it originated from. And then it moved into a different realm where it became more of the the norm in the arts that things were editioned. It becomes more valuable. It's more about that. It's more about an edition is something that is more valuable because it's limited. There isn't going to be a million of them. They're not, there's going to only ever be, you know, if it's an edition of five, there'll only ever be five. If it's an edition of four, it'll be four. It's and usually there's only four and they don't print like another one. You normally have APs, so an artist proof, and then your editions. Okay, so it, there can be like a first edition, second edition sort of thing? Yeah, so you have first, second, third, fourth, however many editions you've got, but you always have an AP normally. An no, artist proof. That's just like a written... You just write AP on it. It's so AP1, AP2. No, it'd just be AP. So you have an AP. Yeah. Some people do two APs. But that's normally the artist proof. So it was like, traditionally speaking, it was the original that you'd show a printer. So like, you had your artist proof. So if it was a plate print, and you went to a different printer, you'd take your AP so they knew the colours that you wanted to make their print work and things like that. So people had a reference point. And the AP's also handy. If you sell an edition, you can still hold a work that you can show. So does AP... It's just the artist proof. Artist proof. And um, they can, you can sell it, but it sits outside of that edition. Oh, okay. So you can sell it. It's just like another edition that you can add on to it, pretty much. But it's a handy one because it means if you've sold out the edition you have an AP, you can exhibit that work without having to ask to borrow them and things like that. Oh, okay, so AP is like, like um, it's just the artist say proof. the artist's work and then yeah. the ones they sell is different from that. Yeah, it'd be your, your editions. Okay, your editions. But that, the artist proof normally sits out. You can sell an artist proof yeah. as well, like, but it's just a nice way to have a work, your, a work of your own type. That you can keep. So a lot of people will do that. You usually have one artist proof and then yes. you can have like one, two, maybe three editions of a print. Maybe in five and some people have more. But say like the, the first edition, that'll be like the more rare. Traditionally, nowadays, it's pretty much all. It's, that was the old school of it. Hmm. When like the print would actually get worse as the edition run went on. So that's why the first edition was rare. Nowadays, it doesn't really matter. Like, I can print the same photo a hundred times and you're going to get a hundred identical prints. Yeah. Where back in the day, that wasn't possible. Oh, okay. When you were using a plate, because, like, say, a metal plate that was pressing that image, that plate's going to wear out. And then it will slightly get softer corners and get... Do you think um, photography kind of generally valued less than say a painting because a painting will last longer than a photo like a photo as you're saying 220 years and but a painting well, you can also restore longer. a photo how would you, like you can you restore that print or you just they would just secretly just print it again and reframe it no you can restore that print so you would you scan it or well what? you can do a digital restore where you scan you retouch it you can do an animal. Do you, do you put it back through the printer? 
No, you just like scan it, retouch it, reprint it. That's one way. Or you can paint it. Oh, in. okay, okay, gotcha. So, like, say these sort of things. These are from the darkroom. Say, my spotting pen, coloring pencils for it, all my paints. So I can throw these old gamut paints and things like that. Oh, so you literally retouch with pens. Yeah, so you can retouch. These are all like these are just old ones I used to use in the darkroom, but like I can restore an image by painting it back in. Okay. You know, it's where those terms like airbrushing and stuff came from. You used to air physically paint the skin in. So you'd sit there with your airbrush and clean it up, just doing that, just spot flake in, you paint away lines and stuff like that. You'd paint colour in if you needed it. Okay, so because I think they do that with the paintings as well. So they will. You can do all that. the painting and it will maintain its value in the photos. You just. You can do things like that. Reprint or. Yeah, digital works are a bit easier nowadays because yeah. you can reprint a lot of them. Like I have reprinted things that have faded for collections in the past. Where the, the old school of having to physically. Especially if the artist's still alive. Yeah. But there's a lot going into it all. Like, it's, it's a big game, really. Like yeah. A lot of people were kind of working that out, and it's in a new sphere with the digital coming so close. Yeah. But have you have you seen those TVs that you could, people have on their walls and it looks like a painting? A painting? What are your thoughts on those? They're dope. <laughs> <laughs> they look cool, right? Like, they're so skinny. So my problem is I don't like the look of a TV in a house. Yeah. So when it hides in the framed work, that looks great. I think first, yeah, like they're just they're good for that. Yeah, I've seen some galleries even have kind of screens yeah. around and they just yeah instead of getting stuff framed. And I was thinking, oh, that's a good way. But then yeah, talking to you about you know cho choosing the size of the frame that um, that you wanted pick to kind of fit yeah. how you want the person to feel or yeah the, the colors so it's like again it's kind of like trying to shortcut that process as well and sometimes a screen is a really good way to show work because you know it might have elements that a screen is more suitable for that work than a you know I was like talking to a friend of mine I was showing making a new work we were discussing different ways of presenting the work and we talked about light boxes, we talked about... Because we were talking around in circles to make it look like a screen until we came to the conclusion that the best way to show the work was on a screen, <laughs> like, was to put a TV screen up there. And we're like, oh, we can make a light box and I can print on a light box film or we can print on, you know, an ultra gloss so an amount of aluminium and it looks sharp and clean like it's almost screen like and then we kind of were like well why don't we just why don't you just do it on a screen like, of course like why fake what you can you can do physically like yeah yeah it's always about that that's the most important part is about hitting the hitting the point that you want to hit so it's kind of printing is about experimentation it's about knowing the feeling of your work and how you want to communicate that's that. how i look at it like i look at it it's like it's about it's about making 
making uh, my job is just to facilitate someone's idea and I've got to study those papers and those things and how they all work in order to someone can come in give me a concept and I can make that concept a reality for them and that that's more or less where I kind of and then make sure it will you know it will last it will look good it will you know you can sell it to a collection and they're not going to worry about the using a dodgy material like you know collections and stuff something like if you have like cheap papers and stuff if it's not intentional they might ask you to reprint some collections they won't buy it as a result mm. of that because they're like it's a collect you know they're saying that they want to keep for a long period of time and if it's not stable then you're not can you reprint it especially with digital it's become a new phenomenon with it with all like can you reprint it we want it redone because we don't want it like that we're not gonna or we're not gonna buy it if it's like that because it's not good because of this this and that yeah so there's also those elements to it and it's just yeah making it all a reality awesome yeah well thanks so much for having this chat with me i think yeah definitely a lot a lot way more to printing than you know i thought and i learned you know so much more um today about like how important that that process is and yeah i think for anyone listening like that communication with your printers important like tell them tell them about your work and how you want to communicate that work because there's so many different things that come into it like don't you, I think maybe come into your printers uh, with an open mind like don't be set on a certain size or something like that just communicate with them and then like see where it goes I guess it's, it's that creative process between yeah you're creating something together again you're like you have your work but then when you print it it's just like again it's something else yeah you, you just yeah i look at it like that we're just for, for, oh. i can't even talk like <laughs> words don't even work anymore yeah we're just helping the dreams come true yeah <laughs> well yeah thanks again and um oh, thank you where where can people find find you <laughs> hey, that's a that's a tough one you find me at joe's printing on the, the instagram instagram Instagram's a good one, and the Facebook, and then I've got a website now, made it the other, yeah. <laughs> not too long ago. Yeah. You can find me at Joe's Printing, or down in Fremantle, 45 Cliff Street. Awesome. If you want to stop in and say good day. Yeah, come and have a chat. All right.